0: Hello and welcome to the Double or Nothing review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Deadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflow and Michael Sidwick here to review everything that happened at AEW Double or Nothing. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review pay per views but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and of course. AEW dynamite. But as I said, I am joined by Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick to review AEW double or nothing. And before we even talk about any of the matches, Michael Sidgwick, oh my God, how good was it to have fans back on Sunday night?
1: It, It was outstanding. It was strange that so few of them decided to wear masks. In my head, canon, I've all been fully vaxxed. That's fine. Probably isn't the case. There was the slightest sense of unease because it's so new. I couldn't reconcile the fact that so few of them had masks on. But you know what? I'm vaccine positive. There's obviously a little bit of hesitancy, but the rollout has been so successful that it's almost inexplicable. You see these goddamn news. of The way that America and the UK has handled the pandemic has been so atrocious and so reckless that i still can't reconcile the fact that the 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 rollouts have been as good as that all i'm saying is that there was a slight bit of unease but the inner mark within me didn't care if you trust in the vaccines you could just about reconcile it all and yet it was so euphoric and so deafening and so overwhelmingly special that it was difficult to speak to your inner moral core Way back in like March and April 2020, when we thought, oh, Christ, it's going to be amazing when fans come back. The slow realisation hit that, "Mm, probably not, because it's going to be a very staggered, very cautious thing that might feel a little bit unsettling, knowing that there's never going to be a big switch to herd immunity or anything like that. But in your kindest moments to yourself, you thought, when they come back, it's going to be euphoria. They are going to celebrate this like it's the Champions League final, it's a World Cup final. That's the reactions you're going to get. Those are the atmospheres you're going to get. And Jesus Christ, he got it. This was four to 5,000 people just so overwhelmingly euphoric that this was it. It was everything you wanted it to be, in short.
2: Yeah, it was like as glorious and emotional as you could have hoped for as a wrestling fan. It was life-affirming as a wrestling fan. I, I alluded to this in the conversation I was having with somebody on Twitter, I remember a year ago, just, just over a year ago, doing these reviews and it was just so incredibly sad. And one of the only things that like, didn't make me feel sad was the sight of dusk in the background of Daly's Place. I uh, specifically remember me sometimes being like, just looks nice, doesn't it? just looks, I just wish I was over there. Whatever that is going on over there in the space, I don't really care about the wrestling. Everything's made me sad. That dusk looks nice. <laughs> when that pre-show started and it wasn't even yet dusk, it was just gorgeous blue mm. Floridian skies peeking in through the corner of Daly's Place against the turbo pops for Riho and Serena Deep, the pair of them. Like, And please let me know, tell me that we're going to talk about the pre-show because it mm. belongs on this review as much as anything on the pay-per-view. Um, it was just, it flashed me back to feeling miserable at the sight of everything but dusk last year. And as I put on Twitter, honestly, it looked like the light at the end of a tunnel. Like, wrestling's coming back had the same reservations about the crowds until they evaporated because wrestling always seems to come first in my stupid life. And I was just like, oh, there's that thing I love the most. <laughs> like, it was just, it, it I like, couldn't quite reconcile all my feelings to the point where, like, and again, I'm sorry to jump ahead. It'll probably happen quite a bit in this mm. podcast. That specific shot of John Moxley against all three tiers will live with me in my like wrestling Rolodex of permanent moments for the rest of my life. Like wrestling does that to me. There is th- it's mm. why I'm like a pointless trivia factory on the five star review. It's just there. Some stuff that stuck with me, and I wish it wasn't. But John Moxley staring out into that crowd and the crowd giving that love back to him, and to Eddie Kingston for that matter, mm. giving that love back to him in the way they haven't been able to do almost for the entire duration of his world title reign and the entire duration of Eddie Kingston's AEW career was something that will stick with me forever and there's only so many Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair is probably the only one from WrestleMania in the same way there's only so many opportunities that wrestling is going to have to have them because this will again become not everything becomes normal in the end and this will become normal in the end and it was wonderful to luxuriate in this still being abnormal this was amazing
0: absolutely amazing it was a really surreal experience for me because you know the reason why we're doing this today is it was a bank holiday and uh, over the bank holiday weekend, I had my, my parents up, it's my mom's 70th, so it was a lovely, really enjoyable time. On Monday, I was kind of like, okay, off you go then, goodbye, so I can watch this <laughs> show. And I was watching it in a, what can only be described as a Moderna-infused stupor. I'd come back from getting my first vaccine, so I was already in a pretty good mood. And the show started, I'll confess right now, I haven't seen Serena D versus Riho, but I am watching it this evening from what you guys and, and Andy Murray this morning was was saying about it. Um But I was watching, so I just watched from the beginning of the, the, the you know, the main card. And I was a bit like, Jesus, what's in this vaccine? Because I, I was just bouncing off the walls from the moment it started. And Sid, I, I don't want to suggest that Tony Khan listens to our podcast. He does. He, I mean, he does. They started with Adam Page versus Brian Gage. But before we get to that, yeah, tell me more about Serena Deeb versus Riho because Andy Murray was, was insistent that I watch it this evening after work.
1: You have to watch it. What's happened here, accounting for my goddamn pauses, is that Wilborn's connection is dropping at the absolute worst possible time. I will talk over him. I think he's back. I think he's back. Um Serena Deeb, has established herself as one of the greatest wrestlers on the planet. And that is no hyperbole. There is no need to caveat it with the gender that she is or the goddamn um, whatever. She is so great at elevating greener wrestlers to her immaculate level and making them look like just completely polished wrestlers. So not only is she one of the best wrestlers on the planet, on the evidence of this absolutely scintillating kickoff match, buy-in match, whatever... She's one of the best workers as well because she received an incredible thank you, Serena Deeb, for one, performing in front of us and two, like being a quiet architect of this now brilliant division. She turned that goddamn reaction on its head and directed all of the cheers towards Riho by being an incredibly vicious heel who was a completely disrespectful knob to Riho by refusing a handshake. Unbelievable technical work. The pacing of this match was absolutely great. Everything looked snug. And the highest possible compliment I can pay to it, right, is that I've got a dream match. My absolute all-time favorite ideal wrestling match is Daniel Bryan versus Kenny Omega. Not the one we saw in PWG, because that was a banter fest. Like an actual main event wrestling match between Kenny Omega. And the fantasy book spot that I have is... Kenny Omega goes for the goddamn V-trigger... Daniel Bryan rolls underneath it and applies a single leg crab or a heel hook. And Deeb and Riho did it in this match. <laughs> incredible finish. Just a glorious, well-built, technical stunner. Just awesome. You have to watch it.
2: Like, just the perfect welcome back to fans in the arena and welcome back to viewers at home of wrestling with fans. This was absolutely perfect. I'm inclined to say it's probably the best pre-show match ever. Um, I always go back to the New Day Usos at SummerSlam, 2017 I think, Um, but obviously the atmosphere and what this represented like, kind of added an extra gravitas to that that the the tag title match just simply didn't have. Um, Serena Deeb was part Bret Hart and part The Rock. I don't know how to be more (laughs) complimentary. Um, Yeah, as you pointed out, those fans came out and in what to me looked involuntary, she had that wrestler instinct to just want to suck it in. She's missed it so goddamn much, and she deserved it. And she revved them up and up and up and up. They'd already popped off to Riho. They popped even more for Serena Deep. And she just did that thing that like that Chris Jericho. Come on, like arms up, arms up, arms up. Like she could not get enough of it with the full confidence that she was going to turn them with a snap of her fingers in the match. And I think even judging, like from the start of the match, judging Riho's reaction was a bit like The Rock judging Hulk Hogan's and knowing exactly just how much to turn up being the heel. And like, well, there's absolutely no point in me working full babyface. or just trying to be this like technical wrestling superstar champion that I've been in these dynamite matches because she was never there was no need for it to be a healer or babyface. Her so work did the talking and all those dynamite matches, and good because there was no fans there to bounce off anyway. She wasn't, wasn't working for the her colleagues in the front row, she was just kind of working for herself, for her reps, for the NWA title, for what is sure to be a long term AW deal for as long as she wants because she's unbelievable. <laughs> um. And yeah, the babyface heel dynamic between them was perfect, like absolutely perfect. And great that this didn't even have a proper story. This was a victory for every now and then Um, having a kickoff match in this case that doesn't necessarily need a long build, that just needs a very clearly defined heel babyface split. And that was what you got. You knew Riho would be popular, but Deeb in particular earned that within the body of this, just this beautiful match. Like orchestral conduction of the light of the audience by Serena Deeb throughout, right to the finish, which will have you like doing that. Oh God! At the end, mm. for like a wrestling move, not for some of the bigger, bolder stunts that we've kind of needed in the last mm. twelve months to make wrestling a bit more, to give you more of a passion towards it. This did it with Hulk. She's, she's like top five
0: probably in the world right now. Every time I see Serena Deeb, I sit there and think, sorry, why? A did why did we really let her go, and why did they just go? You know, keep was just a coach, trainer because sort of sexist thing. and ageist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yes. Yeah, very fair point that. Um, but yeah, can't wait to, to watch this later on today. I've heard so many good things and uh, yeah, a fantastic way by all accounts to, to open the show. And uh, the main card was started by Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. As we said, Sige, as uh, what we suggested to, to open the show. And <laughs> Brian Cage attempted a bookshot, Larry. That had me out of my chair watching this yesterday. Yeah,
1: this is absolutely unbelievable. The perfect choice to start. You're welcome. Um, what this was, was two like incredible physical specimens doing things that people of those proportions have no right to do. And as I said on Twitter, like I had no right to do anything for the past year. And it was just this wonderful, just a wonderful 12-minute pop spot fest. That wasn't particularly narratively rich. There was always like a sense of urgency, a sense of escalation and what Brian Cage was willing to do to Hangman Page. But there were certain moments, right, that viewed outside of the context, you'd think, oh, they're probably asking a bit much for me to say that I probably shouldn't have kicked out of that or he kicked out of that quickly or it was rushed. But it was an endorphin rush of a match. Like they'd never... They asked loads of the audience in terms of the old... Boring things about suspension and disbelief that who cares about it in this context but the audience had never been more willing to just take it yeah i'll take that i'll take that i'll take that i'll take the pops i'll take the pops Herman page was received like a superstar and even within this absolutely pulsating spot fest which is what it was there was still some lovely narrative maneuvers that paid off the last however many months of dynamite brian cage given how awesome he looked and look the just some of the strictest definition Awesome stuff he did in this match. He's going to be a monster babyface. Hangman mm. Page presenting him in front of the most adoring, euphoric, pop-ready crowd. How perfect is he going to look on the on the quest now to Kenny Omega's title? Just perfect positioning. Possibly the best 20 minutes of an opening wrestling show I've ever seen, accounting for the match quality, the fact that it met perfectly the remit of what you're meant to do in an opener. The result, the atmosphere, the feeling, I was just high as hell on this. And there were literally two hours of this show, and this was involved. i was sure that wasn't perfect by any means, but two hours of this four-hour show were two of the best hours I've ever felt watching pro wrestling, and this was the perfect way to kick that off. Yeah,
2: I would probably just about concur with that, depending, depending on the point at which we might disagree, I don't know. But yeah, felt exactly the same. Um continuation of just total euphoria and that's a hard thing to do like it was never something they were going to be able to like uphold for the entire show so it became a case of well how long can you keep the atmosphere and they did a wonderful job of keeping it like because it started early because they suddenly had something to follow this was like the opener theoretically best spot on the whole card like first match on a pay-per-view with a full crowd however you've just seen like four stars plus in the pre-show so there has all of a sudden been a bit of added pressure to this they just nailed it and this was like a victory not just for like the workers and the match but like the overall presentation like how all of this was presented was so brilliant Um, Taz on commentary was inspired for them Mm. to how to present the angle on television like the amount of times he was like throwing shade Brian Cage's way and he was expressing a little bit of like almost like well what I thought was fatherly disappointment considering that he's got his actual son in the stable and he's kind of running out of patience with Brian Cage not following the rules not following the instructions. Little bit pissy with him from the off that he didn't want the guys out there, but it's cool, it's cool with Team Taz. And then just that unraveling as it went along to the point where he was actually he was just calling him by the end. He was just livid that like Brian Cade would have a temerity to throw the belt back. So I love the presentation presentation of that as an angle because it doesn't in any way undermine hangman page as a baby face. He doesn't know that team Taz is falling apart at the scenes. He's in there trying to get revenge on a guy that decked him on dynamite that cost him a title shot of this show. Um, and as well, the pop for hangman page absolutely huge and i think it's important to mention that because we've had to make with wwe as well with aw nxt we've had to make a ton of assumptions mm. of how we believe people to be received one that shocked me at wrestlemania was edge uh, i hold my hands up and say, well you know what more people with edge than i realized massive response at wrestlemania i thought they were sinking him turned out he was pretty still beloved um a few people not us on this podcast but depends on where you look some people maybe just Aren't clinging on to the Hangman page. Can you make a story quite as much because it exists in the background? And a few people were worried that oh, he's been sidelined a little bit. He's been put in the background. He's doing fairly meaningless stuff at the pay per view. A pop was a champion in weight pop. That was a champion elect pop. These fans know what this story is. They've enjoyed watching it play out, and especially with the nature of the finish in the title match, he's the babyface that has to save the day. He had like champions a
0: prick. Like we need this guy to literally ride on his horse and save the day. And A quick word, Sid, on the timings. We talked about this on our preview as well as getting mugged off by, as we were recording it, (laughs) now it's D versus Rio, but I I will not mention that. Um, You talked about them just tightening things up here. And the fact that this went 12 minutes, the Sting derby match, 12 and a half minutes, Miro, Lance Archer, less than 10 minutes. Do you feel like they've maybe got a handle on that? I realized the whole thing, the main car went about four hours, but, you know, Stadium Stampede was always going to go long. So what do, what do you reckon? Do you think they've got more of a handle on it now?
1: I would consider it a slight improvement mm-hmm. and it still needs more work. There was a match here that went five minutes too long, um, Fair card, which we'll get to. Um, ultimately, they got away with this one for me because I was n- at no point exhausted. I was maybe a little bit bored and a little bit um, perplexed by certain things. And I think the Casino Battle Royal, I was willing it to go home. But those are that's a battle royal for you. Um, got away with one here. There were slight indications that yes, they are, they will at some point do
0: the perfect pay per view, the perfect pay per view. Um, but not quite this one. Yeah, I will. I will hold my hands up and say I watched the the uh, our battle royal up until the final, the Joker and the, the finish. I watched that on double speed because. um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, tag team titles uh, came next. Uh, the Young Bucks against, as uh, Hamlet alluded to, the boys who just blew the roof off the place. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. Um, there were shield references in here. There was Brandon Carter getting his head kicked around ringside, which was rather enjoyable. I just fell in love and out of love in the best possible way all over again in the with the Young Bucks in this match, and Kingston and Moxley just were perfect in this role. What do you think of it, Hanfler?
2: Mind-blowing. Like, uh, as a match, better than I thought it was going to be. Um, as an experience, I didn't allow myself to imagine what it might be like to see this match in front of a crowd, to see, like, the best babyface in the entire industry and one of the best babyfaces as his partner uh, against these incredible in-ring pricks. I didn't want to believe that it could be as perfect as I imagined it, because then what if it disappointed me? You know, like sometimes if anything, one of AEW's problems is expectation management because some of the builds are so fantastic. It's really hard to pay that off in a ring. There's like a a real art to it. It's okay though, because these are four artists and they did it. They absolutely managed this. This was just like spellbindingly well put together from like treating it, like treating it with just enough um, of a comedic tone without ever patronizing the viewer or patronising the wrestlers, you know, none of them. We did the raw review today. None of them were archery at any point. And at one point, there was a doomsday device of the trainer. <laughs> so difficult to walk that tightrope, and like they, they did cartwheels across it. That entrance, though, um, I watched stadium stampede again because I wanted to be sure that this wasn't just getting a bit grisly. Four o'clock in the morning, Michael Hanflin in a bit of a mood with it, so I watched it twice. I watched these entrances like five times, six <laughs> times. In the i watched them as soon as the show finished and then i've looped them again since then sandman at ecw hogan in toronto i don't know there's hundreds more but you know put this in the all-time elite group of those entrances john moxley like kicked out of that ramp almost as much as he did the young bucks and like i felt it with him i honestly felt it with him i wanted to jump through the screen and go shoulder first into one of like the sturdier ringsiders as if i was just at a gig i was so elated with the sight of it honestly like genuinely genuinely moving Eddie Kingston is the type of guy that like very believably cries at pro wrestling. And I felt like I was relating to Eddie Kingston because I was practically in buckets and bits myself. It was just, it was sublime, this. I like, I don't know if it, um, maybe not, so it's the own book, so maybe we will go like five stars. Now. I don't. This didn't feel like one of those five-star matches, but it was like a six-star pro wrestling experience from end to end, right up to just one of the best finishes. I love it when AEW does this. One of the best finishes you never could have called 64 golden triggers to his head like that's a like as clean as a whistle and yet filthy and minging like what a pair of bastards not like on our best fantasy booking days I don't think because we come up with something as like as incredible and yet in context completely believable as that amazing
1: they did the best possible finish to a result that I just didn't want to see I would have slapped five on this easily if they went um, with a baby face finish and halfway through this match, I probably would have called an Audible and would have switched it back in three weeks. Um, Because I've never, in recent memory, have been sort of... I've never devolved into, like, a child. I wanted the goodies so badly to beat the baddest. <laughs> it's not just the characters. It's not just the presentation. It wasn't just that unbelievable entrance. It was the storytelling craft. They measured everything so perfectly to make you want the goodies to beat the baddies. I will reconcile the result when the Young Bucks are awesome at rubbing my face in it on dynamite. But I was just left. And it's good to have this feeling. It really is. As a 35-year-old, I don't. you know what? I don't care. I was unashamed. I was gutted. Hmm. And the Young Bucks are my favourite and I think objectively the greatest tag team of all time. And yet I was gutted that they didn't win. A little bit of a note on individual performances I'm not saying Eddie Kingston is not great, right? But Nick Jackson made him look so great, greater in this match. His positioning, his timing, like the bump he took off the ropes and just throwing himself around with abandon. Like Nick Jackson in particular, in ring was on sensational form. Eddie Kingston's face, the defiance when he was getting punched, he's like, don't do that to me. Like, do not do that to me. His dive looked rocket-powered, but it wasn't rocket-powered. It was fan-powered. Like If you go back and watch that first Eddie Kingston dive, I don't think he'll ever do that again in his life. And again, he's awesome at what he is, but he's not a high spot guy. And yet that was one of the best high spots I've ever seen because it was just the crowd just exploding him over that line. Matt Jackson is a piece of garbage. (laughs) A piece of absolute garbage, right? He was such a knob, right? when he goddamn did the Roman Reigns thing, I was jumping into the ceiling, begging him, begging for him to be super kicked. And he got super kicked before I could even complete that thought. As for John Moxley, I'm not exaggerating here. I've seen some incredible John Moxley matches. I think this is his best ever individual performance. The goddamn emotion of him just soaked in blood, no-selling that tandem super kick. Yeah. Just on scintillating form. This was structured so perfectly. And obviously the hot tag to Kingston is the big oh, driving nice. But this was structured so perfectly to make you despair, to make you hate the baddies, to will the goodies into the corner. And I can only use the words goodies and baddies because it's not faces and heels. Faces and heels are words for analysts. This is proper headspace. I'm a fan. I want the goodies to beat the baddies. And in between all of this incredible match structure, incredible emotion, incredible work, you got some deft storytelling with Bullet Elite Hunter. Yeah. Like Kazarian. Just awesome stuff. Absolutely awesome. Life affirming, to use Hamlet's word, because that's the exact thing that I was feeling at the time. Life affirming professional wrestling.
2: The yeah. uh, stereo attacks of Gallows and Anderson. It was at Kingston that dived on Yeah, uh, Kingston. Jesus Christ. Like, again, like what wrestling does sometimes when it's already whipped a crowd up into a frenzy. And it's like, oh, we've got some spare chaos. Do you want some of this? Like, <laughs> I, was, I didn't watch it at home. You don't know what to do because you're already thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm at my peak excitement level. There's nothing I can do. And then Frankie Kazarian is reborn as an assassin, like on the ramp. And um, that kit sorry. Yeah. Cedric reminded me that hot tag. Like I was actually quite pleased when Moxley got pinned because that pop for Kingston's hot tag mm. tells me there's an Eddie Kingston, Kenny Omega world title match. But, like a minimum, minimum on a dynamite. You could probably put it on pay-per-view.
1: I think that's why Mox took the pin. Yeah.
0: For that exact purpose. Uh and this was not the only match on this show where me and Sid on the preview sort of went, Yeah, yeah, we know the heel retains. And in this match and in a match you can probably guess that's coming later on. I went, Oh no, they're they're losing the title. i a hundred percent bought it, and that's that's no word of a lie. Um And yeah, already uh, the worker in me, two matches in went, well, I've got an easy uh, few notes for AW Dynamite on Friday. The preview of the fallout from this is going to be a piece of piss. Um, Next up came the Casino Battle Royal. And we can hold our hands up here. None of us called any of this. We didn't call the Joker and we certainly didn't call Jungle Boy being the number one contender. Before we get to that, uh, your thoughts generally on the match and uh, Michael Sidgwick on the now 26 year old piece of gold I want to be a cowboy baby oh Leo Rush that was and and uh, yeah great to see him in AW as a handshake oh, a handshake deal as far, as far as I've read I think online
1: yeah he's um, a new plan guy but yeah. the door is open so
0: and uh, his involvement in it um, the fact that Max has probably got about a week left of being a heel uh, at best. Uh, your thoughts on all of that, and then we'll get to the fact that they had Jungle Boy winning this match over Christian Cage.
1: Right. My thoughts are all over the shop. Um, there were moments in this match which, before the finish, which totally rescued it, and rescued's probably the word, I was actively bored. I was like, come on, our... I know this crowd needs to be lowered down, right? But it's a bit too much. <sighs> like... Comerato's spear, unbelievable. Evil Uno soaking his pop, unbelievable. Max Caster, every little tiny little ingredient you want in a battle royal was there, and yet it dragged the casino format reeks. Like, as I said, it's like you're watching it in split screen, except it's on one. There's so much to focus on. The Christian Cage and Powerhouse Hob stuff on the outside, like, it wasn't a case of, oh, did I miss that elimination? like, of course I did, because it's the Casino Battle Royale. Like, you miss virtually everything that's happening. There was a Christian Cage, Matt Hardy standoff that would have gotten a mega pop, but there was like an entrance going on in the background. They need to just give up the ghost on this casino format. It simply does not work to the detriment of the things in it that do work. It just completely detracts from the experience. There were, however, little moments sprinkled in that made me less angry and bored and distracted. I was a little bit, oh Christ, Matt Hardy, even on this podcast, he's probably going to get a burial. I don't know if it was just the first time they've worked with each other. I just think Leo Rush is simply far too fast to be working with Matt Hardy. And regrettably, that was the direction teased. So I was excited because Leo Rush is my favorite part of the early Wednesday night war on the other channel. And yet that got doused because there was a botch in that sequence and it was glaring. What I thought was perfect about this was their manipulation of our knowledge because they treat our intelligence with respect. Christian Cage is the guy who comes out first. Of course he is. Gets the pop. His whole thing is outwork everyone. So you get him coming out first, that outwork everyone. Oh, he's going to outwork everyone. They do the spot where he's selling on the outside, having been thrown through the middle ropes. Oh, he's going to come in and win it. They subverted every single trope knowingly, knowing that we know the tropes to... Elevate Jungle Boy's win. They were clever enough to know that Jungle Boy was going to get cheered at the expense of Christian Cage. What wonderful trust in a young roster member as well. The swing around the post was fantastic. The whole point of the Battle Royal is you're meant to have a little bit of a heart attack when someone you want to see not get eliminated looks perilously close to elimination. That spot articulated that feeling, elicited that feeling wonderfully and they went all the way with Jungle Boy. And the crowd, to a man and a woman, or whatever pronoun you wish to have, I'm supporting any of them. All of them went utterly ballistic in euphoria for Jungle Boy.
0: You're 100% correct there, Sij, in the fact that when they took him out and then brought him back in, and I went, oh no, Christian Cage is going to get booed when he eventually wins this, because we all know that's the way it's going, especially when, no, no offence to him, but when Leah Rush came out, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's... It's a big enough name to justify it being the Joker, but also someone who can get eliminated. And, then, oh, there he goes. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Jungle Boy, a spirited loss again for you. In the... And then he bloody won it. Then he won it. Hamper. insane. He's the number one contender.
2: Yeah. And that he did was, yet again, one of those results where you remember that, like, not all wrestling has to be the way that WWE has told you it is for, like, 20 years. Um, yeah. And it's – this match will only ever be remembered for Jungle Boy winning – Possibly for like a nice exchange between Jungle Boy and Christian, if and when, and this is what I believe is going to happen. Christian will absorb another couple of losses to like young AEW wrestlers, a yeah, pick from a hat of twenty. But like Kaz and Matt Seidel feel even more by design as choices now to like keep us from Christian versus Jungle Boy, and keep us from all the micro exchanges Christian had in this match with the guys of the feet, like. A Max Caster getting to banter him off at the start of the match is the sort of thing that you've only really had little flashes of in Christian's interactions with Powerhouse Hobbs, and that's been it. And then he does that, and then it's like, oh, great, Like these young people are either going to physically abuse Christian or they're going to verbally do it, and that's some of the magic he can have, because he's going to make them better, like with the dark arts that we can't see. He's going to make them better, but he's also going to be able to put them over. Christian's star power here. like Christian star had never shone brighter because he put Jungle Boy over without having to get pinned by him. So that was pretty inspired as well all people like i didn't like this match but all people and yeah Cedric's bang on like that format is dire it isn't getting better like it's if you ever watch the original one like jesus christ it's an improvement from that that is a car crash but even in this one that standoff i think mean, i think it was that standoff specifically you mentioned Sidgwick, matt hardy and christian which by the way like that as a thread didn't work for me at all throughout they were leaning too heavily on the matt hardy christian stuff but there was one in particular where the camera zoomed out to catch the screen with their hearts i think it might have been but then didn't re- reveal the hearts because they were desperate to get the stand up in at the same time it was like this is a mess this this cannot be fixed so being that people will only remember that jungle boy won like a very euphoric feeling battle royal um and they'll get away with that as a result it's this would be a nice way for this one to disappear
0: Fascinated to know your thoughts on what came next, Michael Hamflock. Cody Rhodes versus Anthony Agogo. Uh, Cody Rhodes winning it for America, uh, mm-hmm. hitting Agogo with a vertebrae breaker to get the victory. Divisive, I'll say, of this online. What did you think?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll go back in my time machine so I can be a cynical prick first. Uh, the <laughs> Cody following the Battle Royal match was designed to help him like as usual on the preview, Bot and Anthony Gogo as well, they imagined the battle royal would be the, the cool down from that euphoric start and then he would bring them back in. So that felt placed with the intention to help this match and the build highlight, ultimately the failings of the build highlighted that nothing could generate that reaction, nothing could save this match. Um, and then there proceeded to be a series of things that further didn't save this match. Um, I always get grief online for just being overly critical at Cody, probably because I marked my cards too early in Dynamite's history, but I've been kind to him where I believe it's fair. I think he's made a ton of people. I think he's made belts. I think he's made divisions. Like, he's, he's, he's made two belts. I love Jeff Jarrett, and he's, he's not Jeff Jarrett. Like There was more Jeff Jarrett in the Kenny Omega triple threat finish than there was in anything Cody Rhodes has ever done in AEW. Um, but like divisive is kind now. I think it might look even worse in the future. Um the we know why they did it, but the Memorial Day stuff, like, we know the A higher-ups like dogs. They also like soldiers too. But this was all about the American Dream stuff with Cody, it, which didn't feel good. Felt even worse than the first promo cut that kicked all this off. The babyface heel balance, which we talked about in the reviews, always threatened to be a problem. And it became one in front of a crowd. You get all the benefits of the crowd for the start of the show, And unfortunately, you also have to deal with the fact that the crowd doesn't like everything and they did not know how to react to this. Um, Cody, um, Anthony Ogogo, because I've not even said his name yet, was really good in flashes here. Like, the raw potential is very obviously there, but I think we already knew that. So I'm not sure that this match did enough to put that across more. Like, his selling was was very good for a guy that's so new to this. Like, great that he does a frog splash and all that sort of stuff. Like, and he gets a bit of colour and all that, like, all those extra things. But ultimately, like... It's you want to see the space between. You want to see how he sells, like what his face does when it catches the camera. And I thought like he still he still feels like a natural. Like that promo we cut, like the bare bones of something really quite special is here in Anthony Gogo. It's like a two sports superstar. But the match, from Cody's point of view, did none of that. This is a pay per view. You pay for this product, and Cody has created a certain expectation for his pay per view matches. This fell really dramatically below that, and he sort of hung the character out to dry. Like, if you're not going to get pinned off those punches, do not take them. Do not put those punches in your match. There was a lot of bad faith comparisons to Triple H on Twitter. Bad faith, in my opinion, comparisons to Triple H on Twitter from Cody. This is one of the first times where I I, I get them, even though the bad faith, I get them, because just don't put the punches in the match. It made sense to me that Cody won. Um, he's experienced. He's the wrestler. A go-go's worked, like, three times or whatever. That was logical. Almost everything else wasn't. Like... Why is he Why is he selling a dodgy eye and a bad rib? Like, you could have performed a double turn at the end of this. When a go-go started bleeding, I thought, if he puts him in the figure four, you could possibly execute a double turn because Cody is virtually being cast as a bully. I, I just thought they got such a great amount of this wrong, and I'm, like, still a little bit surprised at, at the the very small but many misfires. I don't know, like, me and Cedric haven't actually spoke about this, so I'm mm-hmm. keen to, like, get his thought. He could differ wildly.
1: I... Trust the process that this can be reversed, but this is not a great night for a go go. The character is a wrestler, and hopefully, this will be more important. This will be the lead going forward. I was very, very impressed with him. Not just the frog splash, but oh Christ, he can do wrestling because he's an athlete. Of course, he can. Athletes transition to this brilliantly, and he is a brilliant athlete. Not just the high spot moments. Um, like his leapfrogs were just like he's got that insane leapfrog of, an, of a genuine, proper caliber athlete. Um, but his selling, the mindful selling of someone who actually knows what pain feels like, like real pain. I thought he adapted that into his work wonderfully. His footwork, when he evaded Cody, and Cody went through first at the ropes, Mm -hmm. that was so sudden, and he moved his feet so quickly. Like, my abiding memory of this match will be... Oh, Christ, that was the first very good D'Anthony O'Gogo match. It's an actual match, not an individual performance, and you don't want to look at things like a coach. You don't want to analyse something. Like, I'm not his coach. I'm not someone who's got a vested interest other than an enjoyment as a fan in his progress. So I shouldn't be watching the match through that lens. And in fact, I didn't. It's so reassuring to me that build is important because WWE has become such an absolutely direct content factory that thinks it can get away with just splurging match graphics at the last minute. Build is paramount. And it wasn't just here. It WrestleMania night two... Again, just the second night in front of crowds again. WrestleMania of all things. a Rhea Ripley, no one gave a toss about it. And, the, and they struggled to work through that horrendous drab atmosphere because Rhea Ripley had been built like nothing. This divisive build just did nothing for the match. Build matters. Build ultimately matters. The fans didn't know how to receive it. It was a bizarre non-spectacle, considering it was meant to be a spectacle, a big fight, fight being the word. It just kind of failed on every single level, except the one that will ultimately be more important, and that is, can Anthony Ogogo be a good goddamn pro wrestler? I glimpsed that, but I didn't get enough out of this match at all.
0: The Monsters fought for the TNT Championship next. Miro versus Lance Archer uh Sige uh, Miro yeeted a snake in this match emerged victorious I suppose via technical submission is uh, what it says here on Wikipedia at the very least where does Lance Archer go from this and what do you think this did for Miro
1: um solidified through the very dynamic and the fact that he won the match that Miro was the biggest monster so and again you don't want to use these terms because it's what reviewers say when it's like you're not meant to think about it like this you know now, this is not how you're meant to receive pro wrestling. It meant to be like bouncing off the goddamn walls. It's did an effective job of solidifying Miro as the top heel. That's what it did. Yeah. It's just like I don't I wasn't high as hell on the match. You're meant to be watching these two absolute warlords beat the piss out of each other. And to an extent it did. And I got glimpses of that very core appeal of what this match could have been. Like the choke slam looked unbelievable. The missed moonsault was like, Jesus Christ. He shouldn't be doing that. He's 44 and he's massive. But I just think that had they positioned this second on the card, you, wouldn't, you weren't going to burn out the crowd before the tag team match. They were like, that was probably the most second anticipated match on the card. They had to put this second in that atmosphere. Like Every single bomb would have felt like an actual detonation and not just a wrestling move. That was quite impressive considering the guys who did it. Structured nicely enough, but like solid is just not a word I want to use for what was, again, meant to be a spectacle like Godzilla Kong, all the cliches you want to throw at it. It was meant to be the spectacle. It didn't really resonate one. It just resonated as, oh, they're behind Miro. That's good. Where does Archer go from here? People mm-hmm. neglect to mention that the guy's 44. Um, He's not like an ace figure. Very talented in the role. And again, I, I don't want to echo every single one of my takes on every single one of these podcasts, but can't really book a monster for long on Episodic Pro Wrestling TV. And the thing with Archer is that they never really booked him like one to begin with. This marks the first time in AEW history, which again, hit a somber note for me. The first time where I thought, you've kind of knackered someone here in terms of how you booked them. Because I've got no idea where he goes from here. He's already done the make good of the turn. Like a turn's a make good in pro wrestling. If someone's feeling a little bit flat or a little bit cold, you turn them. And then you get... Loads more mileage out of that character. We've already turned him, and he wasn't, in the end, the great mega-heel that he performed as in the booking. Um, so yes, yeah, it's the first time I thought, uh, it was a little bit downbeat because uh, the first time where I just don't really believe in one of your characters. And they've done so well to create such a universe that it hardly feels like a fair criticism. Not everyone's going to get all the way over, but this is the first time I thought, yeah, don't know where this guy goes from here.
0: I will shoot on the, the commentary in a, in a minute. Um, so for now, I'm just going to give a, a nice nod. I think it's to Excalibur, who, when Mira was brutalising the spine of Lance Archer, just reminded us of the spine surgery or back surgery, whatever it was, which I thought really added to it. So I just wanted to give him a bit of props for that, because often the commentary is, is overlooked on something like this.
1: We could have probably mentioned that in the build rather than say bitch a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought that was really necessary,
2: actually, because there seemed a conscious decision in the structure from what we thought was going to be this monster mash or like a host battle. In the structure of the match, it seemed all about humanizing Archer to prep you for the loss. Um, the whole thing, we talked about it on one of the reviews. Um, like, how do you how do you beat either of these? <laughs> like, how do you book it? Because you cannot take the belt off Miro now because Christ, like, look where you got with him so quickly. But then Archer can't afford one more loss. And it it just turns out he can't. He absolutely can't. So instead of them trying to fake that feeling, I thought they spent most of this match like tacitly humanizing archer to like we've never heard about a bad back before or considered that he's in his mid-40s considered that he is a human being he's the hawk monster whatever the hell that means it doesn't mean standard human being that goes and does the big shop on a sunday and yet that was kind of how he was presented here against Miro, who is a monster who is a, a freak of nature who will toss snakes across buildings you know like huge sudden difference between the two that was opened up across the body of a match that was too boring for me like Flashpoints, but just just those. Nothing that really like held together over the 10 minutes or whatever it got. Archer, um, I, I agree with Cedric. I felt a little bit sad. I think Archer was slightly undone by the level of commitment towards him early on. They went so hard so fast with Archer. If you remember when Cody beat him, people then raced to say he was buried because he was pushed so hard that it was like, oh, you can't you can't pull him back from that. You absolutely could have pulled him back from that, but I think two or once too often they've elected not to. And a couple of angles have gone by the wayside with him as well. Um, He's never going to win a belt. He's Mercedes Martinez. That's what he is now. Like, it's not a bad role for a guy of his age. I'm sure he'll take a good wage to do it. I'm sure he'd prefer that than having to do New Japan tours. I would guess. I don't know. That's that's me speculating. He's in a good position. He's got loads of experience. But he's more Mercedes Martinez than he is Miro now. And
0: I think this was the match that kind of all but confirmed that. What's Vance doing in the Thunderdome? <laughs> uh, ne- next up uh, was the AW Women's World Championship match of Karushida versus Britt Baker. Uh, Hamlet, we sort of always knew the result of this match, but uh, we, they were on quite a journey, didn't they, with the, the miscommunication with Reba Rebel. Uh, and I, I, watched, well, I just loved that moment with Tony Schiavone after the match. It, it hit me, that one did. Uh, what did you make of it?
2: This got there. Got there in the end. Um, I, I can't say honestly that I loved the match because I didn't. Um, it was sloppy, surprisingly so. Um, again, like we're gonna have this. This is not me making an excuse for any of the companies when I say this, because I feel like we'll say it quite a bit in the next few months. We're gonna go through this period of like being unaware quite exactly how the fans are gonna respond. Um, just because Britt Baker's very evidently gotten super over. I didn't expect the level of earnest cheers that she received to be quite as domineering in the match. The Young Bucks got booed. You know, the fans, look at the Young Bucks. You can't not love them, but the, the point is you want to love to hate them and you want to be part of that theatre. And I kind of expected that for Britt Baker and Hikaru Shida, especially because they, had the, they went into the trouble of giving Hikaru Shida a moment with the crowd on Friday instead of here. She gets a new belt. She gets toasted as a year as champion. Like, the whole point was, oh, she's going to work for a whole year and then she's going to lose a belt on the first night. So they gave her a first night on Friday instead with a nearly full dailies play, different atmosphere, but like a good crowd. Um, And I just thought, and I'm not blaming the crowd either. They just love Britt Baker too much. to love to hate her on this night. And I think all of that got in the way, as well as a bit of sloppy execution, as well as them maybe overthinking like the first two thirds of the match. Finishing stretch was brilliant. They had no right to get me to think that Hikor was going to win this match. And twice I did. And I uh, like that's that, like, really genuinely. That maybe sounds a little bit analytical, but like, uh, that, after the fact, when I stepped out of myself, like, I was really impressed with that. I was really impressed. That they got two near falls out of me. Um, once off the crutch, uh, into the Falcon Arrow in particular. Jesus, Christ, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I can't. I thought, like, I was already going like three weeks forward and be like, well, when are they going to put the belt on my then? This is bold. This is bold. <laughs> and then she kicks out, like, so yeah, it like. I don't think the babyface heel dynamic helped here. Work wasn't as good as it was in the gym a year ago, which again, just was unfortunate, I guess. But they got there. She felt made. She felt like she's going to be like a a breakout star. And there was a lot of a feeling on this whole show about, um, not like, I don't want to say a fresh start, because AEW is a pretty fresh product. But like, when WWE used to say that WrestleMania was supposed to be the season finale and everything starts anew the next night, that's bollocks now, but it used to be true. That felt a little bit like that here. And Britt Baker being, like, toasted as champion, the hug with Tony Schiavone, and what her victory represents, especially considering how good the pre-show match was, felt like the start proper of the women's division. If you think about all the opponents and the feuds that Britt Baker can have as champion, um, it just felt like the proper start now. Let's get going. And it's her on top of it. So it all felt right and came together at the end. I was disappointed with the match.
1: You said just about on... Got there in the end. My exact word that I used in the ups and downs review on whatculture.com slash WWE, which, of course, you can read right now. It's available. Just, capital letters, just. <laughs> two-star match with a four-star finishing sequence and a five-star presentation at the end. Like, wildly uneven. Um Again, I, I'm sick of seeing matches go long for long sake. I can understand. And it feels like, if anyone in AEW is listening to this, they're probably just scrunching up the bit nearest bit of paper next to them and just throwing it across the room and telling me to fuck off because yes. I haven't been quite as heavy on the criticism of AEW's women's division, but it certainly didn't feel like a priority. Even now, it's a bit of a token element to it on Dynamite. They finally go 18 minutes on a pay-per-view, and treat it like one of the biggest title matches on the entire show. And here's me saying not went four, five minutes too long. But it <laughs> did. a lot of the work was aimless. A lot of it was repetitive. Um, I just think it could have just been a much better 12-minute match. 12 minutes is a long time. Like 12 to 30 minutes is a long time. Um, I don't think they were struggling for ideas, maybe to a degree they were. But like some of this was like worked through treacle, It wasn't just the botches that broke the all important immersion, but like something just felt so wishy washy. Like, what are you doing here? Like, not much of anything. Um, Ikaru Shidas, just if you're going to hit someone with your knee, hit them with your knee. Sometimes it feels like she collapses into people, she's tentative before the impact. And I mean, I know she broke Baker's nose last year, so maybe there's a little bit of that still preying on her. Um, but just felt like rather than exploding into Brick Baker's face she was kind of sort of collapsing into it and then they were just by the ropes I was oh, Christ man sharpen this up tighten this up it's like he's a working through treacle and yet you got that absolutely glorious finishing stretch where I thought I was on the hook for everything um, got there in the end just 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 the hook was wonderful um, but it's interesting that you make the note that they were willing to play along with Omega and Bucks absolutely were not willing to play along with Baker they adored her. Um You can make that reaction work, but just but it's proof of what a great worker baker is. If she hasn't had the reps yet to become an, a polished like wrestler who could just go in there and do it all from muscle memory, she hasn't got the reps to do that. And I think this match was evidence of it. What's more important is that she worked and built the crowd reaction at the end. The polish will come. She'll be a far better wrestler in one or two years' time. So that this kind of match just feels inconceivable. But she's not there yet as a wrestler. But the more important thing is she's there as someone who can manipulate that crowd um, and heighten the volume before the finish and peak it perfectly.
0: Uh, I'll hold my hands up. After this, off the back of this match, despite, the like you say, the wonderful result and presentation afterwards, I was a bit like, oh, gosh, so we got, uh, we got the Sting match. I'll probably go about 10 15 minutes. Then we got the world time match one. And Kenny makes let's just get to stadium stampede, shall we? No, don't get and it. then and then 62 year old sting Steve Borden. What where the, did it? Well, I know where it came from because I mean, they do people do that. You still got it, chant too much, in my opinion. But my god. Because again, Sid, Sid, I'll let you talk about it in a second. You you talk about the stuff that has been ingrained in us. When they went to lay him out on the stage, and you and I talked about this in our preview, going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see, take, take Stokes out for you know seven minutes, and then he can come in and do a few, do a few minutes. Well done for an old guy." And you come, you do a bit, and then we'll take it <laughs> home. And they punt him down on that thing, and you go, "Okay, right. See you in a bit, Steve." And he pops up and takes his shirt off. And I was like, oh my God, he's here. Here he is. And he, he dives up the stage. Oh my God. He stole the show for me, Sid. I, I couldn't get over with his performance. And uh, and Darby Allen just yet again ragged on himself all over the place.
1: My tits popped off, my brain melted. I was just a Mark, unashamed Mark kid watching this goddamn match. It cemented Sting, not that he needed to be further established as one of the all-time great workers. Worker, right? He had said in the build, I'm still feeling that Brian Cage powerbomb. He sold said powerbomb magnificently well. The powerbomb was placed in that storyline so perfectly that you thought, oh Christ, he's done, but oh, I could probably do a little bit more if he can take that. That knowledge of the powerbomb and how well it was delivered and sold, we'll stick with you. They trust you, AW. that is, for that moment to stick with you. So when something like it happens, you think, oh, Christ, he's done for. Like, massive anxiety for Sting. Yes. Pops back up instantly. Perfect facial expression. And you know it has to be perfect because he's doing it through paint. That goddamn camera shot. AW's production did much better on this night, by yes. the way. Props, no, we'll get to that. But production, Yes. Their production takes a pelting. When they get it right, it should be acknowledged. That shot was amazing. The shove off the ramp was outstanding. And then you get the spot. And it never once... Remember when DVP uh, did the uh, diver bash at the beach? It's like, hey, the old guy did that. <laughs> You're like, oh, a little bit condescending, a little bit banter. Hey, look at the old guy doing the young guy spot. And I just felt like there's a guy, this ageless, timeless icon, flattening you with an aerial attack. That's what it felt like. I didn't feel like it was... I was condescending him and my reaction whatsoever, unbelievable. And then they didn't just beat him up. He was so remarkably fluid and mobile in this match. It looked like he was wrestling at forty, not twenty, but forty, which is unbelievable because he's sixty-two. The double team spots were amazing. His mobility was amazing. Dan, uh, Darby Allen getting yeeted about ten feet was amazing. The finish was unbelievable. This is honestly legitimately one of the 10 best wrestling minutes I've ever spent. Mm. Not the 10 greatest minutes of wrestling, but just the experience of watching someone literally, physically, timeless doing this was just pro-wrestling magic. And that's the only... Like, magic, this is magic. Working magic.
0: I um, I was watching this, as I said, recovering, just laying down in bed, watching it on the laptop, and the missus was watching some dross on netflix whatever and it happened and i like rewound it went no but it's sting and she went what is it sting's son and i went no (laughs) it's sting uh hamfler as an old man yourself you must have loved this
2: (laughs) when sting pounded his chest it made my heart beat faster so there must be something about us having a similar age yeah um live experience i had a gut feeling that i guess was proven partially correct that I should probably like park the show there and go to bed and sting powered my motor for the rest of the (laughs) card like I'd like breaking down match my match is kind of pointless as a show like I think Sidgwick's right I think they're on the road to getting this right but I still think the whole thing went too long and it's at this point where you start to feel it and then they have that start like it's the bit when he tears his t-shirt off yeah, I'm squealing like those girls used to do for Jeff and Matt when they set theirs off because the detail of yeah, the detail of that specific choice. He comes out with his T-shirt on, and you you make like it's also quick. It's all very subconscious. It's like oh, that's fine. Yeah, he's, he's he's 62. He can wear a T-shirt if he wants. Looks better than me if he did take it off, but he can wear it if he likes. He's wrestling. And then it turns out that he just hadn't had a chance to take it off. And there it is. Like, that is so much more of an important detail than just a guy coming out in a T-shirt because it's Sting, because you know what that is informed by. And then he stands on the apron and you just get the joy, you know, and it's the right way around. The babyface corner is always supposed to be there because you're supposed to be able to see the babyface's face. That's the whole idea. Like, you're supposed to be the guy in the ring reaching out for the tag yourself. So you get to watch Sting, stood on the apron, like reaching out, hopefully able to save the guy that is effectively, let's be honest, being cast as his son. You know, there's yeah. this, there's as much father-son chemistry with them two as between Ray and Dominic at the moment. So that's how they're being cast together. And then, oh my God, his son's just been thrown out into the crowd. Oh my God! Like, and he has to watch. Like, what did you do with my boy? All that sort of thing. So that hot target is just better and better and better and better. Um, I thought, like, Ethan Page was like, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, I'll speak about them because Sidric's nailed everything, all the thoughts about Sting. Um, I never thought they were the right guys going in. I don't, I do now because the wind felt fairly disposable. I, d- I don't think they're an act that I particularly need to invest in, but there were really tremendous warm bodies for this show mm. because Excalibur, if you didn't know, Excalibur told you all about the awful things Ethan Page has done to Darby Allen. So that moment was really earned. That like, um, that lingering shot on Ethan Page's face, like I didn't particularly buy him as an actor, but the story had been told to me that he just likes enacting really cruel things on Darby Allen. So that's why he was like almost in that bubbery, orgasmic state. I thought, I'll take it. Like I've, I understand it now. Um, Scorpio Sky, on the other hand, total opposite. I was in love with him all over again. Had the feelings I did in SCU and um, were first like kind of putting forward as a potential contender for the title. Um, I don't know what the role for him is, but I want to see them keep trying because he was like, I think he was a very quiet general in this one because it was always going to be about Derby and Sting as spectacular babyfaces, but it takes like it takes more than just competent heel work to sell that effectively, and I thought he was excellent, um, even when it wasn't his night to shine. So I hope they figure out what to do with Scorpio Sky, because like, the Jericho feud is a false dawn, the Sonic ring was a false dawn, this tag team's pretty meaningless. I think AW can fix worse, so they could make them tag team champions for all I know, but I don't think yet they've quite figured out the way to make the star the Scorpio Sky could possibly be.
0: Komaine was Kenny Omega, Orange Cassidy, and Pack a three way match for the AEW World I told Championship. I told them I was in threat the other day. <laughs> uh, a three way. And I genuinely, at one point, Hamplet was watching this and I went, no, not in a don't let this happen, in a one half of the word, no way. Because I thought, well, that's it. The thing that they teased us on Friday, Orange Cassidy's going to be lifting that belt in about thirty seconds. I a hundred percent thought, well, that's it. All this bollocks we've planned out in our heads about Hangman Page and blah blah blah. Nope, it's going to be Orange Casty in just a few seconds. I bought it. Did you?
2: Hundred percent, absolutely. The near falls at the conclusion of this match were absolutely awesome. Um, I, I I didn't love it until like it really kicked into gear as well. Um, I thought they were straying triple sets are hard, they're three ways three ways are hard, you know, they're really hard to um, construct, even for like elite tier wrestlers um, because you do fall into the trap of throwing one guy out to the floor and doing your spots for two, and then going back and going back, and it's just really hard to stay plugged in as a viewer because you're just watching, us, like you're just watching sequences turn taking and sequences even if the work is good, and of course the work was good um, I was so I just wasn't emotionally invested and then like, shit, I was like, it was a proper... And I'm, I'm not going to say I think they earned it by the finish. I think this was a match of two halves. I think it felt like it went too long in that regard because I think they spent too long on the build to what was a really like electrifying finish. But I don't think the finish was particularly connected to the first half of the match. So I'm not high on it as a match overall. I wouldn't like to see it again because what I want is a straight-up Kenny Omega singles match on a pay-per-view. It's probably going to be against Hangman Page now, we're all out. But we didn't get that against John Moxley. We haven't had that here um, so Kenny Omega as a pay per view world champion is probably not living up to my expectations, but the final five minutes of this were everything you want in pro wrestling, like all of it was dramatic. Um, the near falls, like you would, but you were biting on them all. Pac, it, this was what bothered me in the first half of the match. Felt proper like the third man, mm. and then all of a sudden it was him that I wanted to win the most because, mm. like in a way, Pac felt sort of like the like the more logical. Well, they're not going to take the belt off Kenny. Well, if they do, like they're not going to give it to Orange Cassidy. So then when Pax getting in the two counts, you're like, well, he's the one that makes sense all of a sudden. You're talking yourself so quickly into believing that this title is going to change hands, that Pax suddenly becomes the one that you want to see slide back in there and hit the black arrow or whatever. Um, it had comedy because <laughs> Callis finally realised he has to get involved and whaling, like the big S-bomb down the microphone of the commentary <laughs> headset to go and run in. Every belt was amazing. What a spot. What else would you do if you're collecting belts rather than using literally every single one of them? Like, I was pissing myself at that. Like, it wasn't just like, I think it was probably like the third one when you just like, he's just going to use all four belts and he's going to keep getting back up. This is unreal. Like, so that last five minutes had absolutely everything I could want from a pro wrestling match. Um, I just didn't love the match overall, but I was way, way, way hyped for the finish. And I was like, in a good way, like clenching my fist at Kenny Omega retaining I don't think this finish will have gone over brilliantly with everybody, but it worked for me because
1: heels cheat. I thought this was absolutely unbelievable. Start to finish, unbelievable. The build was absolutely incredible, and the crescendo was incredible because of the build. In my opinion, I can understand that they were disconnected. Actually, no, you're just wrong. <laughs> I loved about the way they did the. At some point, one person has to sell on the outside. First, it was Cassidy, and it's like, well, it's Cassidy it could just be asleep, so that was good. They hid a comedy spot. No, they hid via a comedy spot, the perfect way to do it. I don't think I've ever seen that spot where they flying into each other, abdomen to abdomen, done so well, that feels like your breath's coming out of you. But then that, for me, excused the stuff on the outside because they have been winded early in Cassidy's goddamn spot where he was just crawling casually from one person. Just to subvert that, frantic trope that never works Mm. that never ever works and i hate it in a three way i have to pin that person or that person who's been down longer if i race to him and i'm quick enough he won't kick out it's cheap and they knew that and that was a sort of a little hint to me that are they going to get this right they are going to get this right when Casty was like he couldn't even do the thing where the thumb's about to meet the forefinger to say this close because he knew he wasn't and he just shrugged that was great the pocket spot was great because it actually kind of made sense in that perfect Orange Cassidy way. Um, some of the work was absolutely tremendous. The way they got people out of the ring, right? It's not so much that, oh, you have to get people out of the ring. Orange Cassidy, thrown Pac out of there. The brutalizer reversal to throw Pac out of the ring was unbelievable. Like, that's next level Kenny Omega stuff that only Kenny Omega can think of things like that. I've never seen a kick in the balls look so good since WrestleMania 17. (laughs) Truly. Just because it didn't... The fact that they can do... Because they didn't do like weapon shots or anything like that until the finish. It just didn't clock with me that, all right, you can do whatever you want in this match. Mm. But Pac's just a little prick. So when he's getting his shins kicked, it's wellied him in the balls. Like, he'd (laughs) been waiting a year. He'd spent his entire lockdown thinking, I want to kick him in the balls again so vicious, the timing was so good because otherwise, like, Orange Cassidy's balls are in his throat and I thought they would nail the work, they would nail the character dynamic and they would just do the best possible match between these three guys and at the end, you get this unbelievable overwhelming drama and heat the sheer volume of those FU Don chans Don Carlos was probably one of the best non-wrestling performances I can ever recall from the choking on the kickout, which was earned because at various times you thought that was going to be a switch, to the frantic, sh- 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 to the sh- eating grin on his face when he pulled the ref out. Like Don Callis was this is probably the, one of the better non wrestler performances I've seen since the days of the attitude era. And I'm not being um, hyperbolic when I say that. Drama, comedy, work rate. I thought this is unbelievable. One of the best three way matches. Probably the best three way match I've ever seen.
0: Uh, And Hamphlet, before we get to this main event, a quick word on uh, Mark Henry being unveiled as a new AW analyst is going to be working on their new show, Rampage. I don't know.
2: I don't know what to feel about this, to be honest. Um, I'm assuming one of the first things that happened was that Mark Henry and Leo Rush shook hands. Indeed. That would have been like Leo Rush thinking, I finally got away from that heat I've got backstage to be. (laughs) Hello. Like, where's the world's strongest man? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, The... They've earned a bit of trust in the fact that the big show is a commentator and is just a commentator. It, well, no, he's a commentator and he's the guy that provides a bit of exposition in those video packages. The thing about the three-way is the champion doesn't need to be pinned. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> like so, but he's not wrestled, is the point I'm making. Uh used relatively sparingly. If you only watch Dynamite, almost never at all. Um, so no reason to uh be critical of a somebody with loads of experience backstage. Like helping out, like those fit, like those names are always good. Um, they didn't overplay it or over egg it. So brilliant, because that would have just led to more people being disappointed. Um, I just I don't feel a tremendous excitement. I was surprised. I will say that I was surprised because he seemed, I feel like this must have been a term that Cedric's invented that I'm just subconsciously stealing, but he seemed like a fed head. <laughs> like he was a guy that spoke so positively of WWE that I felt like I didn't believe it. So he's certainly one of the more surprising jumps of this particular run of guys that they've had um, sort of arrive in AEW like from nothing. Uh, Yeah, like I don't feel like he's, as a fan, I don't feel like he's going to be one of them guys I have to talk about very often.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to talk about him at all. I haven't talked about Paul White since the day he signed. This to me simply was another strategic means of making AEW feel legitimised, as a place where wrestling royalty can viably work just another piece in that puzzle to make it feel like hang on this is like an incredibly legitimate enterprise doesn't really do anything for me as a fan but it is what it is it just feels like this is the place where the wrestling heads and the new hottest wrestlers turn up at because it's going to be the preeminent wrestling brand all going well
2: I did like that tweet that somebody did of Randy Orton sending people to AEW. Yeah. It was like Christian, Big Show, and then Mark Henry on the. I forgot about the that Crutches Raw where he obviously turned up injured. And they were like, "Well, we're doing something with that."
0: Like- <laughs> Main event time then, uh, Stadium Stampede to the pinnacle versus the Inner Circle. If the Inner Circle had lost, they were going to be forced to disband. They didn't. They were victorious Sammy Guevara pinning Sean Spears in the centre of the ring after they brawled all the way back uh, to Daly's place. 6.30 sent on from Sammy Guevara to win the match for the Inner Circle. Sage, how did this compare to Stadium Stampede 1 and how did this compare to well the history of this feud between the two stables?
1: I well, didn't hold a candle the first Stadium Stampede because I needed the first Stadium Stampede and I really didn't think I needed this at all. Um, I've got varying takes on this. As an experience, I liked quite a bit of it, but I understand why people did not. There were various elements that I thought, this is really well worked, or this is really in character, or this is like a, a good payoff to the story. And yet I just couldn't help but think, can I just do a Survivor Series match and I do a new branding for it. Like one by one. That's a one by one match or something like that, which I still think they might do because there's a third match in this. I hope there is because I think it needs one. Um, We'll go through the good and the bad before we get to what I think was the point. The Hager Wardlow stuff was fine, except it didn't really capture me because some of the props were terrible. There was a fake pig carcass that looked like the blood was glitter. I don't know what paint but it just looked like a goth stag do.
0: <laughs>
1: so that was, and then they went through a wall that had so clearly been erected for the purpose of being put through it that I just thought, oh, this is fake. And it's not even in the context of a cinematic match that excuses it. So that annoyed me, right? I was also annoyed by the Sean Spears sitting down bit. It's like, well, you just going to sit there all night if no one came in the room. I thought it was a number from Chicago. <laughs> you know, it it like. stomp. when they <laughs> started hitting each
2: other with the chairs, it looked like stomp. Like...
1: Were you just going to sit there and just wait? It just looks so posed, but I'm going to put over Sean Spears big here. Sammy Guevara was the star of this match. Mm. Sammy Guevara did insane things that, even if I didn't like the idea of them doing a cinematic match, I thought, Jesus Christ, this is spectacular, exhilarating. The guy's running up walls and he's jumping from chair to chair to kick people in the face. Sean Spears was the perfect foil for this because his positioning to make Sammy Guevara shine was like expert. This is why you have a guy with his experience because not only is he just doing these things to make Sammy Guevara look great and putting himself in the position with inch-perfect timing. It's like he's not in the ring. This isn't the thing that he knows and knows more than most, these dark arts. Like He's doing it like in a corridor, He's doing it in this weirdly lit room. Like, he did an excellent, excellent job of putting Sammy Guevara over. I didn't like the FTR Santana RT stuff at all. Like, it looked like such a depressing party. And I'm thinking, there's an amazing party going on 100 yards away. (laughs) You go to that party, it's much better. It was a fake party that didn't even look like a fake good time. Weird. The weirdest possible version of an FTR Santana and Ortiz interaction did nothing for me at all. Yes, Conan, haha. It didn't do anything for me. MJF um, and Chris Jericho's stuff, I thought they worked the props really well with the slapstick. And I love, what I love about MJF's act is that he can get away with doing things that, as the wrestler who lives permanently in character, said he would never do. He would never do garbage wrestling. He doesn't do spots. But when he does them, it works, because like, he's meant to hate them in that moment. When he does the stuff with Jungle Boy and he just decides to work a modern indie, super indie banger, it's because he's pissed off that someone has the temerity to wrestle like he does. When MGF, this staunchly old school guy, takes a staple gun to the head, it works so much better because it's MGF and he would never deign to do it. But the catharsis is, ha ha, that just happened to you. Mm. I couldn't tell ultimately, right, whether it was a good idea... I think it was executed well because the fans went nuts for it. The bleeding into the old, into the new world, the cinematic match into the live context. What they did, and I thought was really impressive, but maybe pointless, was they bottled the feeling of fans coming back from the start of the night, put it in a bottle and sold it to you later on. Like, how do you do that? I thought that was an incredible thing to do, but I don't know if if it was wise or... The fans went nuts when MGF took that horrific bump. The fans went nuts when Sammy Guevara beat Sean Spears. Could they have not just went nuts for a five-on-five inner circle versus Mm. pinnacle match for like 30 minutes throughout? I admired that they bottled that feeling. I thought it was a really good production touch. I like the symbolism, but I still don't know if it was particularly uh, worth it. And there were actively rubbish parts of this match as well.
2: Yeah, um, that last bit in particular... Like just because I could see the symbolism, especially with you starting the match in the empty ring, just like it was a year ago. And it made us all think, Christ, thank God I'm not in May twenty twenty. Like it didn't feel to me, it didn't feel like like it earned the end product of the fans getting to sing Judas at the end as the show and off the air, an obvious, very worthy, feel-good way to end this show. Um didn't feel like that was the journey they needed to take to get there. Um I think the whole thing was a misread. Honestly, I do. Um Sammy Guevara was great in this. Of course he was. The whole thing was set up to get him over as yet another of one of AEW's next amazing baby faces. Or, or heels, because we know he can do both, but next big stars either way. Um, but he did that in Blood and Guts. This to me was more tell than show. Um, we all came away saying how Sammy Guevara stole the show at Blood and Guts. This was telling us that he was still... Just because he was, I just felt like the message was far more forced this time around. And it gave me that like... I didn't want to just be like, oh, because well, hindsight's twenty twenty, but like, you probably could have flipped them. Like, blood and guts didn't do this. Like, it did an amazing rating, but it didn't do such a rating that you couldn't have put Stadium Stampede two on first with all this comedic leaning, and then be like, right, time to settle this. Yeah, like, blood and guts at the pay per view. People would have bought that as a pay per view main event too. That's more of a celebration of a live crowd because you've got fans there in attendance. You know, second ring admin aside, amazing first crowd back pay per view, like incredible actually. Like, But I don't want to use that as a criticism against it because you've got to try it and see which way it works. So I think they got the order of those two things wrong because I really think this badly, badly is the latest thing to kind of piss on blood and guts a little bit. There's been quite a few things and this is the latest. and I feel quite sad for that. Um, I don't like the angle. I'm sick of this angle. So I'm sick of the clowning of the pinnacle and the inner circle. Like Chris Jericho's funny and hard and cool and he gets the last laugh a lot and like i don't like that baby face character and i think it's nice for the fozzy moment and the Judas stuff really genuinely crowd loved it like you can't swim against the tide there like they were having a blast by the end it's exactly what it should have been big party in the end because you can do it again now celebrate that um so i Do understand it, but I I I watched I was I watched this twice because I felt like I I must be in such a miserable mood with this because I'm knackered because it's five in the morning, it's daylight outside. So I gave this a second go yesterday and I like I went from hating it to merely disliking it. You know, (laughs) it did nothing for like it didn't make me want to praise the stuff. Um I I completely get where Sig was coming from with MJF, but I just don't like to watch it. The bit more so than the the brawl. Was him being made to stand there and stare, WWE style, as the inner circle made their entrance. You know, when a camera lingers too long on a wrestler, that's you know, a bit awkward. This. I couldn't believe they shot him like that because I thought it made him look a tit. And like, the one thing I will say is that like MJF, even if like through bad production, which happens from time to time, he never lets himself look like that. And I just like, didn't have a great deal of respect for the character. The Pinnacle will win this feud. Of course they will. Like, there is going to be a third match or there is going to be a singles match. Or a captain's fall match, or whatever, where MJF definitively is going to put Chris Jericho out. But like he did, he pushed him off a cage, and then we have this, and Jericho rebounded like two weeks later and hit in a van. Uh, oh, a week, later. one week later, yeah. Like the this is this the formation of the pinnacle that MJF plotted for has done more for the inner circle than it has the pinnacle so far. The pinnacle's next feud is going to be what defines the pinnacle, mm. and I just I'm like I'm really like disappointed with that. And I just, yeah, the, the presentation didn't work for me. I thought the whole thing was ultimately a misfire and it like stopped. Like this show had like all-timer vibes and I think the feeling of Britt Baker's win and the last few minutes of the triple threat would have brought it back if this had delivered. Like this would have been like all-timer stuff and I think ultimately this brought me back down to like just just, just a good show with a, like an all-timer atmosphere. Mm.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, to be honest, I'll hold my hands up and say I don't know what they could have done to make me think, oh, this was as good as Stadium Stampede 1, but I was disappointed in Stadium Stampede 2. I wouldn't say it was the complete opposite, but whereas like Stadium Stampede 1 was just so many great moments and the occasional thing that when you watch it back, you go, oh, yeah, we'll just skip past this for a minute or whatever. It wasn't exactly the polar opposite of that, but there were large parts of this where I was a bit like, all oh, right, yeah, whatever. And then, like, yeah, I did enjoy the bits with MJF, and I thought, you know, Sean Spears and, and, and Sammy interacted really well. But, yeah, the, the the bar brawl and stuff and Conan and what, I was just a bit like, I don't care. But um, I, I'll admit, yeah, Sige, that, that feeling of them bringing it back into the, into the stadium or into Daly's place, I should say. Uh, yeah was was just was just fantastic and uh yeah the end of it all left me feeling warm and fuzzy inside let us know your thoughts on double or nothing I had that written down for ages here uh let us know your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> on the show on stadium Stampede feed too on everything all ball out from it on twitter at what culture ww watch they can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet or Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. He's so disappointed now. He's going to have a day off tomorrow. That's how annoyed he is with me right now.
2: It's not like, let us know your thoughts because I stopped listening to Daddy Boys when I thought of that one. (laughs) Stream
0: now. (laughs) Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. And of course, our preview of AW Dynamite, which due to basketball or baseball or ice skating some bollocks is going to be on friday again this week uh, but it'll come back to normal eventually P- please just maybe not as long as you know life uh right okay this has been the review of aw double or nothing my thanks to the dadly boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon Hold up.